It is once again time for Wrestling with Theology. I am Pastor Doug Minton coming to you this Ash Wednesday as we celebrate the beginning of Lent, assuming you can say celebrate and Lent in the same sentence. But today we dig deeper into the book of Exodus, looking at chapters 18 and 19, getting ready for next month as we talk about Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments. But first we have to get to Sinai. We have to get all the background situated. So as we dig deeper into Israel's history in the book of Exodus, one person reemerges from the shadows to make a very important impact on Israelite society from this point forward. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, meets with his son-in-law as the Israelites were encamped at Mount Sinai. We start with verse 1. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land, and the name of the other, Eleazar, for he said, The God of my father was my help, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. The main purpose for Jethro's visit is a family reunion. Jethro was returning Moses' wife Zipporah and his two sons to him. Moses had left them behind in Midian while he was in Egypt. We have the names of Moses and Zipporah's sons given along with the definition. After all, most of the biblical figures have names that mean something important to either their life or God's revelation of salvation. The name of Moses' older son Gershom comes from the word meaning sojourner. This completely works for all of Moses' life, as well as Israel up to the end of Joshua's life, when the promised land is divided and allocated, beginning in Joshua 13. Moses was a sojourner in Pharaoh's court for the first 40 years of his life. Moses was a sojourner in the land of Midian for 40 years while living with, Zeth while living with Jethro and marrying Zipporah. He continued as a sojourner through the wilderness for the final 40 years of his life. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were also sojourners in the land of Canaan during their lifetimes. The name of Moses' younger son, Eleazar, means God is help. Moses experienced God's help as he ran from Pharaoh's sword as an enemy of the state. God continued to help him as he brought him to Jethro's home and family so that he might be ready to receive his calling to go back into Egypt and lead the Israelites out of slavery. We pick up in verse 5. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro had come to Moses to check on his welfare. He had heard that God had delivered Israel from Pharaoh. He rejoiced with Moses and the Israelites for the great blessings God had given them, and the great things he had done for them. Verse 10, Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. 
Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. In this rejoicing, Jethro, as the priest of Midian, offers sacrifice to the Lord. Some commentators want to make a big deal out of the fact that Aaron isn't performing the sacrifice. However, Aaron had not been established as the high priest yet. There was only one certified priest to be able to perform the sacrifices at that time, and that was Jethro. There is a great deal of weight behind the phrase, eat bread, throughout the Bible. Table fellowship was and is the most intimate form of fellowship between people. Jethro had brought the sacrifices so that he, Moses, Aaron, and the elders of Israel were fellowshipping with God. And that is, as we get into the New Testament, especially with the sacrament of the altar, we have that essence of eating bread because there is the bread that is the flesh of Christ. We pick up in verse 13. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone, and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make known to them the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wall yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice, I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws, and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men of all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. Every morning, Moses would take his seat to judge the people. He sat there, listening to the people's problems until evening. Jethro sees how tiresome the whole process was for Moses and for Israel. Moses served as the only person to whom the Israelites could bring their disputes and their questions. Jethro suggested a wonderful setup for a better way to govern the people. It serves as the basis for our own court system. The placement of judges to govern the people over tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands makes great sense. As a dispute is unable to be settled by one level, it gets escalated to a judge who sees less cases. Eventually, only the greatest issues would make it to Moses. He served as the Israelite Supreme Court. He would only have to worry about receiving God's word at the entrance to the tent of meeting and the most major problems. Jethro had a great idea, and Moses, thankfully, took it. We see in verse 24, So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. 
Moses took his father-in-law's advice and appointed able men to serve as judges over the people. They judged any small matter amongst themselves. While there is no number given in this passage, there is ample possibility that Moses chose 70 men. Seventy elders of Israel came with Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu to the top of Mount Sinai, where they saw the God of Israel, Exodus 24, 9 and 10. There is a similar injunction from God with the number 70 in Numbers 11. So now we jump a little bit, but it's a jump backwards. Because as Jethro gets to Moses, they are at the foot of Mount Sinai. But chapter 17, they were still a ways off. Now in chapter 19, we jump back to get the Israelites to Sinai. So chapter 19, verse 1. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the day they came into the wilderness of Sinai, they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Three months after Moses went into Egypt, which would be the third new moon, as the new moon begins the month in a lunar calendar, the Israelites arrived at the foot of Mount Sinai. When they get there, God makes the claim once again that the Israelites are his treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. God warns the Israelites that what he did to Egypt, he would do to Israel if they disobeyed his voice and broke his covenant. As long as they obeyed his voice and kept his covenant, he would continue to bear them up on eagles' wings. He brought them to himself, just as he promised to Moses in chapter 3. So now we move on into verse 7. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded them. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. Moses tells the elders of Israel, who may have been also been the judges appointed in the previous chapter, all that God had revealed to him. They agreed to follow God's covenant as it had been laid out already, and would be further laid out on this mountain. God prepares, God prepares Moses and the people for what was coming. As he speaks about the thick cloud, from this cloud, God would speak to Moses, the people would hear, and they would believe. It's funny how the same image is used in Isaiah to talk about the people having fallen away from God, not listening to what he had to say to Moses or to any of the other prophets. Verse 9 ends, When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. 
So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. God gave the people a three-day warning. They were going to be visited by their God in a physical manifestation at that time. Limits were set as to how close sinful human beings could be to holy God. Many people want to keep the limits. They want to take the spiritual life and make those in it a better class of Christians and lay people. We started to look at that last week in the confessional corner. There are many things that can be pulled from this paragraph to support how especially the Roman Catholic Church prays and limited the spiritual life. Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the elders of Israel were allowed to go into the mountain with God, Exodus 24, 9 and 10. But the common people were not. In the Reformation and even today, many people believe that pastors, monks, and nuns are closer to God because of their spiritual life. This is complete hogwash. A fence was placed between the people and the mountain. Any person or animal not listed above was to be stoned if they crossed that fence. Today, the communion rail and sanctuaries that separate the chancel from the nave kind of serves that purpose. During the service, only a few are allowed inside the rail to do the ministry that goes along with worship. I can agree with this. Not because of some special quality in those who minister, but everything in worship must be done decently and in a proper order. 1 Corinthians 14.40 The Israelites were told to refrain from sexual relations during this time. This is easily one of the proof texts for Roman Catholics to say that the priests need to be celibate. They will also point to 1 Corinthians 7.32-34, which says, The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. The married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. This was discussed on the confessional corner back in October and November when we took up Augsburg Confession 23 on the marriage of priest. Go back to those episodes and hear what I had to say about it then. It's still the same thing now. So, what happens on the third day? What happens when God arrives? We pick up in verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. God comes down, and it's the Israelites' worst nightmare. Thunder and lightning, a thick cloud, a very loud trumpet blast, smoke and fire. As Mr. Beaver would say, there is nothing tame about this God. However not tame God's appearance to his people is, Mr. Beaver would still say that he's good. There are also many points in this paragraph that relate to many other places in Scripture. The third day is a major moment in the scriptural story. Multiple times the third day makes a great impact on God's governance and salvation of the world. On the third day of creation, God brought forth dry land from the waters. Also vegetation first sprouted on that day. Genesis 1, 9-13 Abraham and Isaac traveled three days before they saw Mount Moriah. Genesis 22, 4 Joseph interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker. Both of their dreams had fulfillments on the third day, Genesis 40. 
Esther and Mordecai fasted for three days before she went in to ask for Artaxerxes' pardon of the Jews. Esther 5.1 Jesus prophesied three times that he would be handed over to the chief priest, crucified, and rise again on the third day. I know you were all waiting on pins and needles for me to bring that one up. After all, it's the most important third day. A cloud also comes down from heaven multiple times in Scripture. The pillar of cloud led Israel by day and the pillar of fire by night. The cloud of darkness moved between Israel and Egypt to protect the Israelites while they crossed the Red Sea, Exodus 14, 19-24. The cloud once again covered Mount Sinai, when Moses went up to the top to speak with God, again in Exodus 24, 15-18. The cloud descended onto the tent of meeting when Moses would enter, Exodus 33, 9-10, and chapter 40, verses 34 and 35. A cloud covered the top of the Mount of Transfiguration while Jesus spoke with Moses and Elijah, Matthew 17, 5, Mark 9, 7, and Luke 9, 34. And Jesus will return from heaven with the clouds, Luke 21, 27, and Acts 1, 9 through 11. Trumpet blasts are all over the scripture. They were used to call people to worship, to call them to war, and to declare a new king. Fire descended from heaven in relation to sacrifices, especially when the tabernacle was set up and the temple was dedicated, and also, most especially, when Elijah battled the prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth on top of Mount Carmel. So all these things have multiple references throughout the Bible. So we pick up in verse 21 again, finishing off this chapter again with a warning before we get to the great revelation of chapter 20 next month. So verse 21, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priest and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. As we conclude the chapter, God sends a warning to the people so that the Lord doesn't break out in his wrath against them. He brings this warning to the common people as well as the priest. God tells Moses to bring Aaron with him, but no one else. God has called them to be his ministers to Israel. God calls ministers to deliver his message of law and gospel. Both are present here. The law set limits around Mount Sinai. The gospel contains the warning against his wrath. He doesn't want to destroy his people. He wants them to receive his word. He wants them to glorify him through the promises he has given to them as his treasure possession. We will look at this revelation with its law and gospel in more detail next month as we move into Exodus 20. The Ten Commandments have both law and gospel, as we will make very clear then. Once again, we have this privilege of having this episode come out on Ash Wednesday. And I encourage you, if you have not been in worship this morning, be in worship this evening to remember as Moses records God's words to Adam in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, from dust you are and to dust you shall return. Tomorrow, log into Facebook, 9, 15, 9.30-ish Central Time, and you will see the first episode of 
Majoring in the Minors, a Facebook Live series going through the Minor Prophets, which starts tomorrow morning. So I encourage you to be there for that. And then, God willing, next Monday, we will have the first episode of Mormon Mondays as March celebrates the 190th anniversary of the first publication of the Book of Mormon. And we'll look at the question, are Mormons Christians? And realize that, yeah, the entire series will have to be used to answer that one question. But until next time, whether it's tomorrow morning, Monday, or next week with Wrestling with Theology, this is Pastor Doug Minton once again wishing God's blessings to you as you wrestle with theology. Amen.